This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. How's your sock drawer looking? It's messy. There's a lot of single socks. Yep. I think it's time for a little spring cleaning. Oh. <laughs> Check out Bombas. Once you try a pair, you'll never look at socks the same way again. I should know. I like my Bombas. Their spring collection has new garden party socks that bring the party to your feet. My feet have never been to a party. <laughs> They've so got sad. stripes and florals and new vintagey colored rib socks. You know, when I'm wearing Bombas, I feel like my feet are being caressed okay. and cared for in a way they never have been in my life. Hmm. Get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash Conan and use code Conan for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash Conan and use code Conan at checkout. <laughs> Hi, I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger. They're supposed to comment on what it is like to be Conan's friend. Well, how the fuck would I know? <laughs> Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walking blues, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hey there. Welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, joined by my crew, my posse, my gang, Matt Gorley, Sonam Obsession. Mm -hmm. Nice to have you guys here. Good to ride with you again. Yeah. yeah ride free or die, I always say. Yeah. But, I've uh, never said that. Ride or die? Is that what you mean? Oh. Ride free oh, or die? Oh, I was die? thinking live free or uh, die. Live free You're free thinking or die. of live free or die hard. The uh... <sighs> This posse sucks. No, it's live free and die hard or live free or die hard? Live free or die hard. God, worst. Guess what? We just won the award. I was just contacted worst podcast open we ever. We did it. Yeah, it was bad. We just got it. it. We just got it. I think we can Listen do better. Listen to this review. The host quibbled over whether it's live free and die hard or live free or die hard, never even mentioning the film itself. <laughs> it was a muddled, tangled mess. It went on for 10 minutes, and then this reviewer's review was read off of an iPhone. <laughs> Can we the get a fact check on that? I'm getting the fact check right now, and it's verified. It's live free or die hard. Not to be confused with A Good Day to Die Hard, the fifth installment. Oh, <laughs> then as Gorley continues the theme, I can't believe this review came out so quickly as we're doing it. As Gorley continued the theme, the segment became even more flaccid, tangled, and self-referential. A good day to die limp. Gorley went even further. The imp who never takes a cue kept chucking out different versions of good times die hard. 
until the whole thing was literal oral diarrhea. <laughs> Uh, wow, this is, uh, man, this is, uh, this is serious. This is Slate. And still a better review than Good Day to Die Hard. Yeah, exactly. And what, just when you thought it was over, Gourley continued <laughs> it one last time for the ultimate callback. The this ultimate. reviewer is now taking his life. That's crazy. Oh, wait a minute. Look what just popped up. An obituary. Oh, no. Yes, prominent reviewer for Slate takes own life. (laughs) This is fucking crazy. Podcast reviewer for Slate took their own life just after finishing a takedown of Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. I love that you're actually miming the swiping of the phone. The I am. I'm yeah. scrolling up because yeah. I'm a, I have good space work and this is all really happening. Yeah. yeah. In a first, uh, O'Brien read the obituary for the fake podcaster from the fake Slate review while miming swiping up on his screen. Oh. Ooh. Well, uh, agile minds, I suppose. Agile minds. We got him. You... <laughs> <laughs> Hey, look, we don't have a lot of time, but I do want to point out some other great people that are always here in the booth Mm. with us making this happen. Mm. The great Adam Sachs, Mm -hmm. a wonderkind who got us into the whole podcast world. Without whom, I would be virtually unknown except for the almost 30 years of fame before him. And then uh, Eduardo doing a great job. Mm. Killing it, Eduardo. Designed this uh, sound studio. I'm made paralleled. it perfect. Oh, thank you. And then, uh, of course, uh, Blay. Blay yeah. is here. Yeah. And, uh, huh. I wonder why I brought him <laughs> Wonderkind. Up. He designed this studio. And Blay is here. <laughs> well, also, Blay is here. But uh, Blay has been with me for a long time. Blay yeah. came on. Is it, You were a kid when you came on, Blay. That's right. Right out of college. Right 2001. Out of... A f- uh, 22-year-old, fresh out of the oven. That's right. And uh, that was a long time ago. Yeah, 2001. And I bring this up for a reason, because we were talking about it just before the podcast. Uh-huh. Some would say I'm jamming this in to the conversation. <laughs> but you still dress like a child. <laughs> it's your generation, man. Yeah, you know, mean... in World War II, 20-year-olds stormed beaches. They had their lives cut short defending America. And you're wearing, what is that T-shirt? I, I don't, it's got a bunch And you of wear them. ironic watches that are plastic. And well, you wear. <laughs> well, now I've switched to. Uh, bracelets. Is now that you have... a Taylor Swift friendship bracelet? No, these are just these are bra- these are just uh, bracelets. You know, I got these in Thailand. I got these. Okay, in... whatever. I want to know okay. where the real men have gone. <laughs> oh, <laughs> look well... at you! Every time you're always walking around, you've got a kooky backpack, yeah. and you've got little. I have holes in my jeans. Oh my true. god! Oh boy, you're just stepping in it now. Did you pay extra for the hole you. in your jeans? Was that extra? I will say. Uh oh. That. I've worked here for for a number of years, and uh, and and I like to dress. Uh, I have my own style, but I would Your be lying style. if I said there wasn't a whisper every morning when I put my clothes on. Oh yeah, what is Conan? I know yeah. that feeling every I morning. Too. I do too. You've I, done that to everybody like, who works that, what's for that, you. What's that movie where I, I think it's Die never, Hard? That, no, where stop they, saying Die Hard. Where uh, uh, I think it's the Never Ending Story where the kid has to walk by these statues and mm. they might open up and obliterate them with eye beams mm. or whatever. And it's yeah. like the Eye of Sauron. It's like coming to work every day. Yes. I know the Eye of Sauron is going to peer. Wait, my me. only question is this, yes. and this is just for oh, your God. entire generation. Okay, okay, can't wait to answer. No, but this. isn't there a time for us to grow up? I think other generations yes. had to go through the depression, and they had to go right. through. I mean, just terrible events: the Civil War, everything. <laughs> And they were they were forced to become yeah. men early. Well, what did you go through? Oh, yeah. Please don't even get <laughs> into it. What have you done? I know. I went through the cancellation of the show Chips. <laughs> oh God. I watched a great show about two uh, motorcycling policemen <laughs> in Los Angeles 
Go away. I watched Gerald Ford stumble on a tarmac. Do you know what that does to a little boy? I had terrible, terrible things happen to me. Like, what else? What else has happened? Oh, please. Nothing has happened to you. Like, that's not enough? The sunscreen I used as a boy was not nearly up to snuff. And I'm paying for it now by having things removed from my neck. Because that sunscreen was probably the equivalent of an SPF 10, not an SPF 50, which is what I should be had, according to my person who works on my face. I have a whole team that crafts this body. I have suffered and I am a man because I went through things. And Blay, look at you. Well, okay, let me ask you a question then. How do you think I should dress? What would be the ideal? Have you ever worn a suit? I think when you go to a funeral for a loved one, you're wearing a who farted (laughs) t-shirt. A backwards baseball cap that says, what, me worry? And then you've got like seven watches that are all plastic. Isn't it funny? They don't tell time, quipped Blay. Can you just take a look around this room, though? Because I I am wondering how you made it this far with shirts like that. We have all just relegated ourselves to basics because the the way to be invisible in front of this man. That's true. Yeah. Sona, I've only criticized you for only having one leather jacket for the last 25 years. Yeah. Well, that's a high class snub. I know. I'm saying yeah. it's it just looks like the one that uh, the general wore in Planet of the Apes. <laughs> Got little ridges on the on but the what shoulder. But am I supposed to replace it like every few months? I no, do that. just one other jacket. That's Come all. on, get out of here. But you do have that that kind of boomer trait of you have to comment on everything the way everybody looks and the way they live their oh, lives. Excuse me, trait. I'm not a boomer. You are a boomer. boomer I am not. You that are. Is a sick no. Bird. Yeah. I am not a boomer. I'm Gen Y. No, you're no, not. You're yeah. not. Yeah, as in, why the fuck am I working with you people? (laughs) (laughs) I'm self-conscious now. Is there an age that you think we should stop wearing baseball caps? Uh No, no, no. That's always cool, Eduardo. You know what? And by the way, that's a football cap. It has everything to do. No, it's because you you think Eduardo's cool and you like to beat up on Blay. That's not it. I really do have an issue with Blay. Blay, I'm worried you're you're always going to be a child. (laughs) And I don't want to visit you in a nursing home because I'm going to live forever. Well, I don't want to visit you in a nursing home. And he's like, oh, he's over there. And you're, you know what I mean? You're dressed like a, like a 16 year old Korean schoolgirl. I would like to see who's that. Cl- who's gone to a club. You know what I mean? I mean, l- and you're l- like, oh, this person on my t-shirt, that's Ubishi. <laughs> he's a little squiggly doodly. I love the squiggly doodly. I watch them every Saturday morning. Oh, I don't know where they to fall in this. Yeah, they, they, Ubishi has some good merch. No, you gotta admit, on, you're on my side on, a little no, bit. No, no, I'm on team Blay. I'm on team Blay. Yeah. I just don't think you get it. And oh, so I get you it hate completely. It. You don't get it and you hate it. No, 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 I get it completely. Completely. It's a it's a little story called Peter Pan. <laughs> I won't grow up. I don't want to go to school. Just a moment on a parent and I'll follow silly rule. I'll dress like play every day. Well, can I say a thing which is, oh, why am I even going to say When this? you open your closet to get dressed in the morning, I bet there's all kinds of like plastic hats. That is true. Actually, today I had to go through a whole pile of hats. Uh, what are you because... doing? Blay, what are you doing? Oh, yeah. Just well, let I'll him just talk. Let him dig his own this is what grave. Gonna, this is what I was going to say, which is, which is, this is a bad analogy. But, you know, Batman, the reason why Batman oh, wears. Oh, no, no. Can I just speak? Yep. The reason why Batman wears a big bat on his chest is because that's where the armor is thickest. So people will shoot at the bat. Okay. So I'm like the Never bat symbol yeah. on his chest. It's from the Dark Knight Returns. But it, uh, so basically, everyone else should be thanking me because I am drawing 
his ire for you. But I don't want that for you. I'm jumping on the fashion grenade, so to speak, for the office. But we shouldn't have to do that. You know what I mean? We should all... I take a look. I'm just a little worried about you, Blade, because you came to work with me as a young man. And I thought, oh, this is cool. I like this young guy. Maybe he'll stick with me for the long haul. And that was 22 years ago. Yes. And if anything, you dressed more like a man then. And now you've just become like a theme park (laughs) animal that's running around. You know, is he hurting? though? The other other thing I'll say is, you know, I lost a bunch of weight a couple of years ago. And so now that allowed me I could I only had a certain amount of clothes to choose from when you're, you know, six, three and you're a bigger guy. You can know. So. But now I'm like, oh, man, that looks cool. That looks cool. So I'm kind of having a renaissance because I could never wear these kind of clothes Amen. when Amen. I was younger. Amen. And you're okay. shitting on him. Okay. You want an apology. No, can I say this one thing? Sona, he just did this jujitsu move where it now looks like I'm weight shaming him, which oh. is terrible. That's a terrible thing you just did to me. First of all, nice um, yes, you did lose a lot of weight. I just thought uh, that you had terrible diarrhea. <laughs> I didn't realize that you went on this regimen. Both things can be true. Yeah, but uh, that's my favorite <laughs> diet, by the way. That's gonna that's gonna you know sweep the nation soon. But yes. I, I just want to see you in a suit. Once. Okay, I will wear a suit. I will dress up, and no, that doesn't mean and you can't put any pins on okay. it for like DC oh or God. Marvel. Yes, you can. Yes. No, you can't. Okay. No, you, it's this is a bank. I this yeah. From now on. This whole podcast empire is a bank. <laughs> this is bank. This about? is Bank of America, <laughs> and I'm going to start dressing you're up. You're wearing a t-shirt. I know. You I'm going like to change. You're working too. on a little schooner right now. Okay, that's. <laughs> oh, let's get him. He looks like. Oh, uh, that's not going to go well. Silicon yeah. Valley. Yeah. Oh, let's over fight there. Bruce Lee. That'll go well. <laughs> Good luck. I've got a spoon. I'm going to go attack Bruce Lee. <laughs> you're right. I don't uh, want to do so, that. So, so uh, no. I just think Adam. You think, as the guy who really is the power behind the throne, don't you think it'd be a good idea? Like, I'm a big admirer, and he's a friend of Jack White, because Jack White makes everyone around him sort of dress up. Uh, and yeah. and I think that's really cool, and it has this cool effect. When uh, when you see Jack and his gang, they're all, they're all dressed for the occasion. And uh, in me, I just look like I run a daycare center. Well, you're the most but casually dressed of any of us. Today I am, but okay. you have to admit, mostly, I wear a tie a lot. I mean, today just happens to be a, an off day. Yeah, that was, I was going to say is that like they, it, it starts at the top, right? It starts with Jack White and then they all, I guess, mirror their style off of him. Well, so. I think he also tases them if they don't obey. <laughs> I think yeah. you're probably right. Uh, but, but what I'm saying is, uh, <laughs> don't you think maybe we should start to have a dress code here where you've got to have, yeah. and we have to idea. pretend it's a bank in 1955. No, that's And sure. people have to wear fedora hats. Like like uh, hats from this the 50s. This is all the stuff I got mocked for in the first place. I know. Like, yes. this that was a couple of years ago. This, I mean, I never wore a fedora. This is but a, a we, comedy I, podcast. Why? Are I you think doing... it's a good idea, but we'd have to work it into the budget because we can't ask people to go and buy. Oh, now new we're wardrobe. talking. So, so you have we, to. We'd have to figure okay, out. I'll pay for it, but it's have to be very shittily made clothing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, very bad, like stuff that if it rains. The color runs. No, I need yeah. a new leather jacket. Uh, I will give you one of my old ones. What? Yeah. No, you're gigantic. You... So what? It's not going to fit me. It doesn't matter. Buy me a new jacket. Um, yeah, I want a new Rivian SUV. Okay. Thanks. Um, buy his stuff. No, I'm no. getting him the Rivian. I'm not getting you a jacket. Oh, come Those on. Things it's are so expensive. much more expensive for a Rivian. I just think that this is a comedy podcast, and I, I want to say on the record, I like how Blade dresses, Same. and I'm totally fine with it, and I think you're being a bully. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, oh, Thank I know. you. Are you a bully? <laughs> I, will, I, will dress up, I, I will dress up and come in, and uh, you, you might- Don't you know change what? yourself. You might not like it. No, I love it, the idea of Blade coming in. Yeah, you might not just like come in a suit one day. It might freak you out. You know what I mean? No, and it's not going to freak me out to see you dress 
dress as an adult. <laughs> You're 72 years old, for Christ's sake. It's time to, you know, grow up a little bit. All right. Today, it's a big deal. Oh, yeah. This is a big deal. This is a big deal for my childhood. This is a big deal for anybody, I, I would think. Yeah. Uh, my guest today is widely regarded as one of the greatest bodybuilders of all time. Audience still thinking. Tom Hanks? Uh -huh. <laughs> he's also an actor, author, and politician. Uh, he's a massive uh, figure. He's you a, know? He has a massive figure. And ma has a massive figure. Yeah. Now he has a new book entitled Be Useful, Seven Tools for Life. Uh, I'm thrilled he's here today. Arnold Schwarzenegger, welcome. I just walked into this studio and they put a piece of paper underneath <laughs> me here and they say, go and read this off and comment on what it is like to be Conan's friend. I don't know. I hope it's going to be a fantastic friendship. There's a give and take. That's what I hope. But I mean, right now, I just saw him for two minutes uh -huh. and we have been kibitzing for a little bit here. But of course, it's not the first time we've seen each other. I mean, we have seen each other many times before. I've done his show before. I always yes. had a good time. Yep. And he was in charge of promoting all my movies. Yes. That's why they went through the roof. <laughs> and, uh, and all that stuff. So I hope that now I, I came out with a book called Be Useful. Uh, and I hope it does the same with the book. Oh, sell, sell, sell. That's yes. one of the chapters in We're, the book. I you read know, the book. Sell, sell, sell. I read the book. You're already much more successful I don't even think I because need to be of the book. We should let Arnold just keep going because this is fantastic. <laughs> no, no, this is absolutely uh, did fantastic. Did I talk too much already? I don't want to talk too much. No, no, no. You didn't no, talk no. Too much fantastic. No, For the next perfect. 50 minutes, I'm not going to say anything. Nobody wants to hear me. They want to hear you. No, no. I want to hear you. You were so funny. I listened to you when you're Dana Carvey and this guy's on for the Hans and Franz stick. You were reading <laughs> and you and you were reading out. The, you actually invited me, but they had the environmental yes, conference, yes, yes. so I couldn't make it. But that was so funny. <laughs> I was laughing. There's no comedy movie, uh -huh. to be honest with you, that I have laughed that much than just listening to you with the Hans and, the and Danny Franz Carvey movie and, 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 and Kevin Nealon, exactly, and, 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 and Robert Smigel, yeah, Robert Smigel, yeah. Smigel, Smigel, yeah. <laughs> this is making my life exactly. right now. We I wrote a movie going. a long time ago. I'm just going to tell the viewers. We wrote a Hans and Franz movie, and it was, uh, and we wrote you as half the movie, even though we hadn't even pitched it to you yet. <laughs> and one of my favorite things is we depicted your house as being two flexed buttocks that open. That you oh, it was through. hilarious. It was because, so much fun. Because there, I remember there was one scene in there that I still remember from mm -hmm. the script. Mm -hmm. One of the my cousins says, um, I have to go to the bathroom. And then and he says, so where do I go? And I say, you go right down to the Delta it. And the Delta you turn left. And then you will see a huge calf all split in half. You walk through the calf and then yeah. you will see a six pack. I said, if you see an eight pack, that's not the one. The six pack, you go with it, go through that door. Like, we have to make this movie now. And yes. then, and that make is, this movie. And that six pack, this is where you walk in and that's where you go to the bathroom. But this is not a girly man bathroom, okay? So, so, I mean, it was all of this stuff. It, it was, was so hilarious. silly. And I remembered yesterday I was talking to Robert and I was talking and I talked to Dana a lot and I was telling them, I remembered we wrote a scene where you're, some someone passes and it's, you're very sad and you're one of the pallbearers and with all of your friends and then you get to the grave and you all start doing lifts with the coffin. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we put all this foolishness in there. It was so oh, much but fun. But it was fantastic. Well, it I'll was so well written, uh, written and I hope to do it. Yeah. 
I really hope they do it I'll because you still can money. do it. You still I'll put can up do the money. Um, I well, will you say have so. it now. I mean, I, I have, have it. I mean, yes, they, I they, have you, it. You, you bought. I mean, they 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 paid you almost a billion dollars for this podcast. Two, bil two I mean, billion. They, two billion. Two billion. Two billion dollars. Yeah, it was maybe. all Bitcoin. Are, are you married? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I am. Then yes. I understand twice as much. <laughs> <laughs> My or, wife said, "No, have, it needs to be two. Have. <laughs> you know, I have to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. There's so much to talk about, but. From the first time I worked at Saturday Night Live when you came there and you did a Hans and Franz sketch, and I always was a fan of your movie work. You are so fucking funny. You are hilarious. You are so naturally funny. You can see it in Pumping Iron. You can see it throughout your whole career. Always very funny, really funny. And uh, you came on my show when we were out here in Los Angeles, the late night show, and you prepared. And, and that's a big part of your book is preparation. But you kept calling our segment producer and saying, I can do better, more, more before, before you came on the show. You had so many great jokes. You prepared more than any comedian I think I've ever worked with. You were absolutely fantastic. And then my favorite thing is we wheeled out a real photograph of me in boxer shorts, just boxer shorts that we took before the show. And it was life size. And you tore me apart verbally, <laughs> my body. You went after my body and the crowd was laughing so hard. They started stamping their feet and the fire marshals were worried that they would do structural damage. Yeah. It was no, so- I, I, I remember that as a matter of fact, one of the things I remember was that your producer mm -hmm. or showrunner, whatever mm -hmm. they call it on those, on those right. late night shows, uh, told me not to throw up. When I, <laughs> <laughs> Thank I, you, Frank I, Smiley. I said, when yeah. they roll out the picture, I said, wouldn't it be great if I just throw up? I said, because I will find something on his body that will be throw-upable. You know, so... <laughs> <laughs> and and so, you did. And, you and, did. And, 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 and he and, said, you know, he said that would be too gross because it's a late show. We want to entertain people. We don't want to gross them out. Plus, right after you, there is a food commercial. So, and we so don't want people to throw up. Your big, so your big achievement in show business, among many, is looking at my almost naked body and not throwing up. Is that what you're saying? Dude, that is discipline. <laughs> And I talk about this and be useful. That is discipline. I mean, I was doing everything that I could trying to kind of look at, uh, you know, uh, your deltoids. Uh, I tried not to look below the belt and all this. Kind of thing. So I was trying doing everything to try to stay as serious as possible and not to throw up. Wow. But, Congratulations. But the bottom line is you have a good body. Oh. You look lean. Yeah, thank and you. And I think that's the most important thing to stay healthy and to stay uh, alive for a long time okay. is to be lean. Tell me if I'm wrong, yeah. Arnold. But when you first came into the room, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, I, I looked right in your eyes and you looked right in my eyes and you sized me up. And we haven't seen each other in a little while. And I saw in your eyes fear. God. Is that okay. correct? Okay. Of fear. throwing up. No. no. I, uh, I, saw, I, I saw fear. I, I saw physical not... intimidation. I did not know that uh, that you detected that. I, I saw it. I mean, it, I, I was trying to cover up. <laughs> I was trying to cover up the fear and felt... the intimidation uh -huh. mm -hmm. and how little I felt compared to you, uh, career-wise, <laughs> intelligence-wise, body-wise, definition-wise, size-wise, six-pack-wise, everything. I mean, I, I said to myself, maybe yeah. I can hide my inferiority complex. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you obviously saw it. I saw it. You I saw it. And not that, I smelled it. It's a, it's a pheromone. You can smell 
when fear is released into the air, I could smell it. And <laughs> Absolutely. It, it, I could smell, it's sort of a sausage smell. Oh, yeah. That's what I could. Yes, uh, to me, it's more like a Wiener schnitzel <laughs> smell. <laughs> you know, we are, uh, first of all, good God, uh, this is already my favorite interview. Yeah. I, I mean, I've talked to everybody, but you are just uh, a delight. And I want to tell you something, which is a few years ago, I've always been a fan of yours and always found you to be uh, just an uh, inspiring person in a lot of ways. And then two years ago, you released a video after January 6th, uh, and it's called A Servant's Heart. And you did it, you put it out alone. Uh, it's just you at your desk talking, and you were, it was your response to January 6th. And I thought it was one of the greatest public services I've seen anybody do for their country because you were elected governor as a Republican, but you worked very hard to be bipartisan. And then you came out at this crucial time and you're adored by people on the left and the right. You've got fans all over the world who don't even know what your political affiliation is. And you just talked about how wrong this was. And I thought, I said to all my producers, I have got to get into a room with Arnold Schwarzenegger at some point and tell him how thankful I am. I really am very thankful for that. And also your post about war in Ukraine and Russia's invasion. I thought, this man is speaking from the heart. He doesn't care about the consequences. He's telling us the truth. And I was uh, b just blown away. So well, thanks. thank you. Really, seriously. All the, we'll get back to you mocking my yeah. body, and there's a lot to mock. <laughs> but I, I did want to tell you that I, uh, I was heartily impressed, and I think you've done a lot of good, so much good. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. And you know, it was really... Uh, actually very kind of satisfying doing it. You know, when you see something that is so wrong, yep. uh, then you want to speak up and you want to let your voice be heard. And, you know, we are very fortunate that we are celebrities and we have a, lot, a huge following. Mm -hmm. And so when we say something, people pay attention. Mm -hmm. And so that's the idea is to use that power of influence and to make people pay attention to something that is that important, such a very important issue, which is to protect our democracy and to defend our democracy and to do everything that we can to do that. Yeah, because it's a very scary time right yeah, yeah, now. Absolutely. And um, I don't know, this airs pretty soon, but I know Mitt Romney just announced that he's not going to run for Senate again. He's a Republican. He's another person who I found a lot to admire about because he speaks his mind about Trump and about what's going on in politics. And he just said, he, he said in one quote, that I think is coming out. He doesn't, he doesn't believe that a lot of his uh, people that he works with in the Senate really believe in the Constitution. And uh, that was terrifying to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I, I think that uh, we have gone through difficult moments in the past. Yes. Uh, we should not forget that. I remember that when they came, uh, you know, to America in 1968, it was the year where they shot Martin Luther King and where they shot, uh, you know, Bobby Kennedy. Mm -hmm. And uh, the where riots they had the, the, the riots and the, the convention mm -hmm. and uh, the Vietnam War, mm -hmm. uh, the hippies were running around. Everyone was stoned beyond their mind, including myself. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, I love hippie Arnold. Yeah, I'm just exactly. imagining hippie Arnold. Yeah. Yeah. It's all groovy. No, the funny thing is, I was totally the opposite, but I didn't even know what it was. Bodybuilders were taking me up uh, to uh, to, uh, to San Francisco. 
the hate what is it called? Hate Ashbury. Hate Ashbury, yeah. exactly. And 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 I would be sleeping out there overnight and I would be getting stoned and all this stuff. So it was like it was just a, a really weird time. I thought it was American, it was quite normal. I didn't even know I was in the that in that weird zone in America sure, where yeah. America was going through some really incredible challenges. And uh, you know, then after that it was followed up with the you know, uh, Nixon got elected, uh, mm -hmm. which was terrific, but then he screwed up uh, mm -hmm. with the Watergate, uh, and there was all that going mm -hmm. on. And, uh, you know, and then finally, you know, we, we found a leader in Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that uh, Biden is not going to be the guy. I don't think Trump is going to be the guy. Um, but there's someone out there. Someone it's getting young. late. Though. It's getting late, though. If no, you don't want, if, if things mean, change very quickly in politics. Yeah. But there's there's someone out there in America because America has a lot of talent. Mm -hmm. So there's someone out there that has the energy and the vision and the the strength uh, to bring people together and to create a new kind of leadership. You know, with the new energy and stuff like that. So right now, I don't see it. But what if that I person think, is closer to you right now than you think? Oh, Sona. What? <laughs> no, not Sona. Why not? I'm looking at him right oh, here. No. Yeah. I no. bring the country together. No. Yeah, good. The real Conan. Now no. you're talking. No. Right? With the sword, the Conan. <laughs> 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 with Conan O'Brien, Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> Ooh, running mates. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll run yeah. with you. You run. Right, okay. We'll clear yeah, that yeah. whole immigration thing up. Yeah. But that's right, because I was, I think when you first became governor, people said, well, they're so excited and they thought, uh, could 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 Arnold Schwarzenegger be president? It's like, well, no, you need to be born in the United right, States. Yeah. yeah, and that's when we thought time machine. Huh? We go back in time. Yes. And you're born in Maine, oh. coastal we, Maine. We change. Yes. Um, the Constitution. <laughs> you go back. I always <laughs> talk about. That's a that's a that's a time travel movie, and you've done them. I know. Where you go back in time to change the Constitution so you can be president. That's yeah, right, instead exactly. of the Terminator, it's just the editor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. when I talk about immigration reform, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger goes back in time. Jefferson's scribbling away. Wouldn't really be Jefferson if it's the Constitution, but let's just play with that anyway. <laughs> Sir, what are you doing here? Get out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Give me that quill. I told you I'll be back. <laughs> what is he talking about? Yeah. There's no such thing as movies. <laughs>
You know, and also with their A rating from the BBB, don't ask me, CarShield is the name you can trust to save you money on covered auto repairs. Now's the time to make the smart choice and protect yourself from the sky-high auto repair bills. Visit carshield.com slash Conan. Save 20% today. Again, that's carshield.com slash Conan to save 20%. Visit carshield.com slash Conan to lock in your price today. it's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations. But I like blaming it on not having reception. I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. Hey, Blay, you've got T-Mobile, right? I do. I was actually just up in the woods in Idlewild. It was fantastic for the weekend. And uh, my T-Mobile didn't miss it. My T-Mobile phone didn't miss it. You know, I wouldn't think you'd need a cell phone because you speak so loudly into a microphone. (laughs) Well, I had to look some stuff up. Just take it. Just take it down. I didn't know what brunch was. I can hear him. When the restaurant's open for brunch. Okay. uh, So I used uh, my T-Mobile coverage to check out brunch. That's all right. Anyway, wherever you are, you know, take it from the loud speaking Blay. If you're on the go, you want to be in the know, you want to make the show. What? Uh, T-Mobile. Okay. That's the one for you. That was I should weird. have rhymed it with go. Anyway, <laughs> find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds, according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. in today, Sona, I was thinking about just how much has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we were all dancing the Jitterbug and the Watusi. Okay. And then you grow up now and there's mosh pits and everything's gone <laughs> cuckoo. There's this new thing called rap. I don't know what's <laughs> happening anymore. But guess what? In a world full of change, there's one thing that hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. The great taste of Miller Lite. Are you with me on oh, this? Oh, yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. And you know, another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. Yeah. I hate a filling beer. Yeah. When I have a filling beer, I just want to sit down in a beanbag chair for six days, but not oh. with Miller Lite. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? Mm-hmm. Back in 1975, the big debate in America was what's more important, that it it's less filling, Miller Lite, or it tastes great. Yeah. The cool thing is when we all realized it's both. Okay. It's less filling and it tastes great. Yeah, all right. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste. Only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and it's less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Conan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer.
I do want to talk about your book, Be Useful, Seven Tools for Life, because I read this book yesterday, and there's so much in here that, as I said, if I had just seen your only your action movies over the years, uh, I, in, especially in the early ones, I would think, well, this man, he's a great action star, but then as, as you started to make other movies and, uh, and I got to interview you and be around you a couple of times, I saw how hilarious you are, how funny you are naturally and it's in you. I thought, okay, there's more in this book that comes out that I never imagined. For example, you d say that, and, and, and I would have thought if you have to define the self-made man in Hollywood, it would be Arnold Schwarzenegger. You come from a very poor part of Austria, you grew up no running water, and you didn't speak the language, and you came here and you managed to not only be a bodybuilding champion, but a biggest movie star in the world and conquer politics. You do all these things, you overcome all these challenges, and in your book you say, you can call me whatever you want. You can call me schnitzel, you can call me Arnie, do not call me a self-made man. What do you mean by that? Well, it's, um, I know that people, when they call me a self-made man, <clears throat> it's a compliment. They mean it as a compliment. But I also at the same time want to make it clear that a self-made man means that there is no one that helped me that I made myself, which is not true. Mm -hmm. I mean, my parents helped me. Um, my father, my mother, my teachers helped me. My coaches helped me. I had all these bodybuilding uh, coaches and weightlifting coaches that helped me. I had Joe Weider, uh, who was kind of like the king of bodybuilding and fitness in America bring me to America and make my dream become a reality. Got me an apartment when I came to America, got me some money so I could get started here and become the greatest bodybuilder of all time. Um, it was, you know, the agents and the producers that helped me to get then into movies. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I remember 5.8 million people voted for me to become governor of California. How can I say I made myself governor? Right. And so it's, it's not a dictatorship or anything like that. So, so I think that I got to help. I got the help from millions and millions of people. And I want to have people understand that, that I know that I'm a product of a lot of help mm -hmm. because that's important to each one of us to know that, that we are a product of a lot of help because that makes you then go and feel responsible also to go out and help other people. Because a lot of young people and people that are helpless, people that are poor, people that don't know how to make the next move, to help them. Yeah. Because we were helped, so let's help them. So this is what made me an enthusiastic kind of public servant, someone that got involved very enthusiastically with Special Olympics in the beginning in the 70s and create weightlifting for Special Olympians and become the international coach for them. Uh, that's what got me involved in the President's Council on Fitness <clears throat> and travels through all 50 states and give something back and yeah. promote health and fitness. I started after-school programs, and then eventually I ran for governor. When everyone said, Arnold, you're insane uh, because you're going to miss out on two movies a year, which you make $20 million a movie. You're missing out on all that money for becoming governor. Are you crazy? And I, t I tell people, I said, look, every dollar that I made was because of America. I became rich and famous because of America, mm -hmm. not because of Austria, not because of Germany or any other place, America. So it's, it's natural for me to want to give something back. So it doesn't bother, bother me at all not to go, go and make movies for a few years. The other surprise in this book is you talk a lot about failure. You make this point about bodybuilding, 
which is built into the fabric of bodybuilding is failure because you need to grow the muscle. You need to push it to the point of absolute failure, recover, then add more weights and you need to push it to failure again. So it's in a weird way, bodybuilding is repetitive failure over and over and over again, which right. I had never really thought about. Yeah, and that is why um, I tell people that what makes you sometimes not be successful is your fear of failure. And so as soon as you become kind of friends with failure and you say to yourself, wait a minute, Michael Jordan talks about he became the greatest basketball player because he missed 5,000 shots and he uh, screwed up 280-some uh, games mm -hmm. and all of this, and that's what made him the greatest basketball player. So it's failure where we learn really the most. And in bodybuilding, it's built in that you do the exercise, like you say, until you fail. In weightlifting, you go and lift until you fail because it's the only way you know how much you can lift is if you go all out and always lift beyond of what you can lift and then you know exactly what you can do. I, I, I missed the 500-pound bench press at least 10 times in different competitions, but the 11th time I did it. You know, so I, was, I didn't feel like I was a failure. I just felt like I have to do, train more. And so, so I think the key thing is to tell people, don't be afraid of failure because it makes you kind of like freeze and not make a move forward. Be friends with that and understand that from failure we can learn more and therefore let's go all out and just feel free of that and not be worried and, and, and afraid all the time. I also didn't realize just how much, I mean, there are all these, you know, cliches, no pain, no gain. And, and you talk about that. You're very, just, you say, look, there's a lot of cliches out there, but here's the reality of it. But when you talk about lifting and the pain that's involved, there's real pain involved. That's why I never got into professional bodybuilding. Well, okay. Is be excuse me. What do you mean? I'm sorry. No, no, no. You're keep going. I have the frame for yeah. it. I have the natural sure. oh, okay. uh, yeah. genetic disposition oh, for absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, See, no. there's someone here who knows yeah, who I think we should respect. Yeah, exactly. He seemed very genuine when he said what, what, that. Uh, <laughs> what kind of mirrors do you use? <laughs> <laughs> I got them from a circus, Arnold. Why do you ask? <laughs> they were free. And I love them. I've a massive chest whenever I look at, then I see these other mirrors and I spit on them. Um, but it's, it's that you became comfortable with paint and you were, you were kind of almost, it's almost sounds like you were addicted to, not in a bad way, but addicted, so addicted to, uh, to working out. I love this section of the book that as a young man, 15, 16 years old, you broke into a gym because it wasn't open on the weekend and you wanted to work out. Now I've broken out of gyms. I have never broken into, I've never broken into a gym. That yeah. intensity was always there, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Well, it, our weightlifting club was in a stadium. And so on the weekends there were always games, soccer games, because it was underneath the stadium. And so you were not allowed to go in underneath where the wrestling club was, where the boxing club was, the weightlifting club in order, because it was for the soccer players. And uh, so I had to kind of sneak in. So what I did on Friday night was I did I opened the latch of the window on top. Mm -hmm. And so that from the outside, I can open up the window and then crawl in. And sometimes, one time, it was I forgot to open it and I just broke the window. And, uh, <laughs> and I... And I climbed in the in the, uh -huh. the the back, and then I worked out for hours and hours and hours. It was like absolute heaven. But what is important here is is to recognize that your brain 
and your, your mind is no different than the muscle. So the muscle grows uh, by, you know, pushing it and going through pain and through discomfort. Well, the same is with, the, with your head. Mm -hmm. That if you really want to grow as a person and if you want to get tough, you got to go through pain. You know, you should not shy away. This is a lot of times the day with the day's youth. You know, when they talk about, you know, the boys are having a problem, the girls having a problem, this is a problem, that is a problem. If everyone has a problem. It's like they're getting softer. Mm -hmm. And they're not willing anymore to kind of take themselves through this pain period and through the discomfort. Everyone wants to be in, com in comfort. People, kids want to sleep in uh, to 7, 8 o'clock at night. When I, when I sleep longer than 6 o'clock, I already hear my father's voice who has been dead for more than 50 years, but I still hear his voice, Arnold, be useful. Mm -hmm. Because that's what my dad always said. And he always would say, he says, do you think this country was built by people sleeping in? No, this country was built by people that were able to work hard, yeah. work their ass off, and to go through torture, and to go through pain, and to do all of that. And so I was, that's what motivates me. Because I don't want to go and lie around and live, live in comfort. Yeah, when you go on vacation, of course, when we go skiing, I go to San Valley, yeah, then I live in comfort. I sit out in the jacuzzi after skiing and all that stuff. But I mean, throughout the year, it's all about, okay, we got to go and do something. Right. Move the things forward. And if I don't have enough to do with my own work, then you do some stuff for the community. Yeah. So there's always things to do. And so this is what I'm trying to teach people is to make this life rich, yeah. not to exist, but to live. And living means really to go all out 24 hours a day. Yes, you sleep six hours a day, or if you need seven hours, so be it. But the rest of the time, there's so much that we can do. Well, I need 15 hours of oh. sleep. <laughs> 15 hours. No poor baby. Yeah. I, <laughs> and then I need to sit in a bath of heavy cream. How many? Sony, you remember, you just have to pour the cream into the yeah, tub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How many times do you have to change diapers to the night? When he needs Sometimes a bottle. Can, yeah, <laughs> he has a person for the diaper you know, changes. <laughs> you know what's uh, fascinating to me is that because you talk about your father a lot, and it's a complicated relationship because you've said that your father could be physically abusive. Absolutely, uh, yeah. We were beaten uh, with the hands, with the fist, with the belt, with the branches. I mean, you, 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 you uh, can think of it, and that's exactly what happened. It, there was a whole inventory of things that he would mm -hmm. use. And uh, at the same time, he was the kindest and the sweetest man. Mm -hmm. So what happened was is that I, I realized that after I left home uh, and I thought back about this time period, you know, that he was, you know, uh, in the Second World War. Mm -hmm. I heard my mother talk a lot about that he had shrapnels in his body and that he had surgeries, back surgeries and stuff like that. They was buried in Leningrad um, during the Second World War and then shipped to Poland and then shipped home uh, with back injuries and all that stuff. So, you know, he went through, you know, and he had malaria. So he went through a lot of pain. And so the guys after the Second World War, and that was born in 1947, a lot of them were drinking. Yeah. And so the problem was when they were in pain, they were drinking. 
and they were drinking together. And just like once or twice a week, they would come home and you could hear it already at three in the morning. We would live in fear because we knew that he would be violent when he gets home. He would throw around dishes and all of that stuff. And, you know, so it would be that kind of an atmosphere because of his pain and because of the misery that he went through. Uh, but then again, he snaps into this kind of a wonderful man and very giving and giving us, getting us ice cream and <clears throat> desserts and, and treating us nice. And we were cuddling up with him in bed. And uh, there was this sweetness. Right. So it was this it's kind confusing. of confusing. It'd be very confusing. Very, very confusing as a young yeah. kid. Uh, but that didn't mean that we didn't learn a lot from him. Yeah. Like the discipline, you know, that we had to kind of do our 200 push ups in the morning to earn breakfast. You know, we had to do our knee bends. We had to do running. Everything was always a competition between my brother and I. He set this up always to make us very competitive and so on. And so I, I, th I think that the, all of that was really helpful for me. And when I think back, what gave me the drive uh, was him yeah. and was my mother. You know, my mother gave me the love. He gave me the discipline. And both of them together made sure that I ran away from home as quickly as possible. So with the age of 18, I went into the military to become a tank driver. I wanted to go quickly as early as possible as I could legally to go in the military so I could get my passport and I could leave the country and could leave that home that, that, that I felt was miserable. I don't want to grow up like that. I don't want to continue my life like that. I want to go to America. You know, this is my new dream was to go to America and to live where the Empire State Building was, where the Golden Gate Bridge was, where the six-lane highways were, where there's Hollywood, Muscle Beach, and all of this stuff. So that was my motivation. So my father helped me in a way to get away from home yeah. and to build a new life. And um, it was his kind of brutality and his toughness and all of this stuff that made me who I am today. So I cannot say, oh, I hate my dad. Uh, I, I I love my dad. I love that he gave me that discipline and that he uh, pushed me all the time and that I'm here and I'm successful because of my dad and because of all of that. There's some other books that say, oh, if you visualize it, it will happen. And uh, and you're careful to say, I don't. you don't really believe that, but you do think having an image in your mind can be quite helpful. And you had an image in your mind of your name on the top of a marquee, Schwarzenegger. And when you come to Hollywood, and you start to look like you're gonna have some success in the business, you're getting a lot of pressure to change your last name. Mm -hmm. But you said, no, Schwarzenegger is gonna look so great at the top of a movie marquee, on the top of a movie poster. And you had all the experts telling you, no, you gotta change it. And you said, it's gonna look great. And you were right. I mean, but that was just, you, you imagined it and you made it a reality to yourself and you knew then that it could exist, you had to put in an incredible amount of work. But I think the fact that you didn't change your name was and is symbolic of a lot of things that you refused to do. Yeah, I think that the, the cliche thing that the people say always is see it, believe it, achieve it, mm -hmm. is absolutely so accurate. Because the fact of the matter is that if you don't see it, you're not gonna go and become successful by accident. You know, you don't have your, you didn't have your show or this podcast because you never thought about it, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, you first, of course, have to dream about it. You have to visualize it. And I could visualize because I think there was nothing around, no TV or, or anything. So I was sitting a lot and daydreaming as a kid. And so I was, I was kind of visualizing this stuff. And eventually I could see myself as a bodybuilding champion. 
And then when I became a bodybuilding champion, I could see myself as a leading man because I idolized Clint Eastwood and I said myself, well, if he can make it, and if my idols, Reg Park and Steve Reeves that did Hercules movies, mm -hmm. if they can make it, why couldn't I? And then eventually it happened, even though, as I mentioned in the book, there were the naysayers. Yeah. You know, for every great idea that you have, I'm sure that you went through the same thing. Every great idea you have, people say, eh, this is hard to do. That's it's impossible. These guys right here. You're sitting in a room. <laughs> this is the naysaying crew right here. <laughs> I tell yeah. them I could be a great bodybuilder, a male model. No, no, no. And then once I achieve that, we're which more I will. realists, by the way. <laughs> Not realists. naysayers, just bringing you back to earth. It's always the naysayers. So, of course, imagine me as I weigh 250 pounds. And I said I want to be a leading man. Of course, the agents and the producers say, look, the, the bodybuilding and the Hercules movies are out. And this is the 70s. You know, Dustin Hoffman is the the, yep. the idol and, uh, you know, the Woody Allen and the... Uh, and uh, you need to you lose know, 240 the, the pounds <laughs> and, yeah, get, exactly. and get some glasses. <laughs> that's right. And a New York accent. Yeah, that's exactly I'm what they said. Here. Yeah. So they said, you're out. So why don't you just stay with bodybuilding and open up a health food store or something like that? We can help you with that, but not to get into movies. So there was no, no, no. They said, they said the body was too big. My, I have an accent. People are scared of the German accent. It, it rubs people the wrong way. And the name no one can pronounce is to forget it. And true enough, all of those things and the end became assets. Yeah. You know, when they did Conan the Barbarian, John Milius, the director yeah. and the famous writer, said if we wouldn't have had Schwarzenegger, we would have had to build one. Yeah. <laughs> so all of a sudden the body was, without this body, they couldn't have done Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. Right? So That, that was movie it. ruined my life, by the way. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, 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 when I grew up, Conan was just an interesting name, and no one really knew about the comic books, and then that movie came out, and everywhere I went, it was, hey, Where's your sword? <laughs> Where's your sword, Conan? Leave oh. me alone. <laughs> and that created something for me to fight against. Oh, absolutely. And I can then, imagine. Uh, that's how I grew. That's I grew how you because grew. I was sad. I was so different from Conan that <laughs> that forced me to be a comedian because that was my only recourse. I don't even know how you did it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> some would say I haven't. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, it was like, it was yeah. really interesting that all of a sudden the body was the thing to have otherwise we couldn't do conan the muscles were welcome then when they did terminator jim cameron said if schwarzenegger wouldn't have talked like a machine uh you know naturally with his german accent this movie wouldn't have worked you know so, so all of a sudden the accent became like a big plus and then with the name in the 80s all of a sudden they said you know the actors don't really change their names anymore now they keep the gina lola brigida name yeah. and Arnold schwarzenegger name and all those long difficult names they keep those names because yeah. if it's hard to remember then it's hard to forget hey there you go i you know you say something in the book that's very funny you said at one point in the book that you hired uh, a coach to help you get rid of your accent and you want your money back. That's right. <laughs> well, let's be honest here. I mean, let's be honest. I remember sitting there. Have you ever heard of this guy, Robert Easton? So he was like a speech coach uh -huh, uh -huh. and a voice coach. And he was an expert in like hundreds of different accents. And he started then and he worked with a lot of famous actors, helped them to get an Irish accent or to adopt an Australian accent. He was just so good or a German accent, whatever. And so you would go to him also if you have a German accent to get rid of it. 
And so he would do, have you do exercises. As you know, the Germans always say every, every TH with an S. Mm -hmm. So he says 3,333. He says, no, it's 3,333 with a TH, not with an S. Mm -hmm. So he said, let's practice that now over and over. And I was running around, you know, 3,333 <laughs> and one third. And then also we don't have kind of the V and the W sound, you know. Oh. So for us, it's just, I have some red wine. Mm -hmm. Not wine, but vine mm -hmm. with a V. Mm -hmm. So he had me practice the fine wine grows on a vine. <laughs> oh my God. And the, and the sink is made out of zinc. <laughs> so and things like that because this, I think all this the guy sounds, was pranking you. I know, but this <laughs> I don't think he's a sounds, speech coach. This was a fraternity prank. Well, that's why I said to him. I said, "Get me my tell money back." This. Tell him to say this, Robert Eason. I'm going to go after his estate. He already, he already passed away. But I'm going to go after his estate because this did not work. You know, I'm still having the accent. But no one wants you to lose the accent. No, you, I know. That's the thing. You know no that one wants, that's you. That's you. For how many years people said you would never make it because of this accent. And then all of a sudden I'm turning on Saturday Night Live and there's Hans and Franz. <laughs> yeah. You know, having the greatest time and it's becoming this huge hit yep. because of the accent. Yeah. So people ask me, says, do you mind they make fun of your accent? I said, no, <laughs> they legitimize it. They make it real. Now it becomes part of America's fabric here. Yes, and it is. It's fantastic. And so then they invited me on the show and we had a great time. And even when I was in front of the White House and we mm -hmm. did the great American workout, yep. you know, when I was the chairman of the President's Council mm -hmm. of Fitness, I had Hans and Franz come and do a whole shtick there I remember in that. front of in the White House about, you know, the Hans and Franz. And we did our little shtick with the, with, the, with the accent and all this. And people were howling. They loved it every, every minute of it. So it was really great. Those guys were terrific. It's also, it's so much in the fabric that uh, my son... Uh, has grown up and he's aware of you and he's seen some of the movies, but primarily he knows you as your counterpart on The Simpsons, Rainier Wolfcastle. <laughs> and so you are woven into, there's a Simpsons character who's based on you clearly, who talks like you. And he, it, it, to me, that's the real achievement is when, even if someone tried to avoid, I'm not going to see any Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. I'm not going to have anything. To, I'm not going to know anything about his time as governor. I'm going to try and ignore everything he's done as a physical fitness champion. I'm just going to watch The Simpsons. You're going to run into Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, that's you know, right. You're everywhere. Absolutely. But it, it has become so odd in a way because I will be sitting, I will be in an elevator and I will be talking to somebody and the door opens up and then someone will walk in and say, I knew it was you. And I said, what do you mean? I said, I just heard your voice and I knew it was you. So it's, it's a, my voice and my accent is so identifiable now, yeah. you know, that people don't even have to see you and they immediately detect that it was you. Yeah, how do you order a pizza and not have the person on the <laughs> yeah, other end like, just really? go like, okay, Arnold, you know, we know this is you. Do you know what I mean? When yeah. you're ordering, and I'm sure you're eating, ordering a ton of pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> I would I like do. to have 7,000 pizzas. <laughs> 7,000 pizzas. <laughs> I want how he meat in it. <laughs> <laughs> I want the Wiener Schnitzel pizza. <laughs> Extra Wiener Schnitzel. I want the Weisswurst pizza. Aber ganz schnell. Is this Arnold Schwarzenegger again? No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, in the early part of the book, when you're talking so much about you come here to Los Angeles to be a bodybuilder and you realize that 
it's not as far along as you thought it was. You know, you, the, the, the bodybuilding and you really had to become part of changing that movement and adding a lot to the sport um, and that it was a challenge to become, you know, uh, a bodybuilder. Even though you had had all this success in Europe, when you came to the US, you, had, you felt like almost like you were starting again. Well, it was really funny because, uh, you know, the magazines that I got as a kid were American magazines, a lot of them. And so in this American Weeder magazines, mm -hmm. you know, he had pictures of bodybuilders uh, in Hollywood. You know, this was Dave Draper was doing the movie Don't Make Waves with Tony Curtis. Mm -hmm. um, and there were others that were doing movies in Chinichita in Rome and all this. And I said, oh, this bodybuilding is really big, not here in Austria, but I mean in America. So then when I go to America, I realized that people were asking me, what do you do? Why are you so muscular? And are you a football player? Mm -hmm. Are you a bouncer? You know, what, 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 what's going on here? You know, are you a wrestler? Oh, you're a professional wrestler. But they, they would guess everything except bodybuilder. Because it almost didn't exist. It didn't exist, exactly. Yeah. So I realized that. So that uh, I, of course, loved the sport. And I felt like, okay, Arnold, you learned how to sell. You, uh, the, you were an apprentice in selling and being a salesperson. So let's sell bodybuilding. And so I started approaching it in the same way as a product, any product. And I started hiring a publicist. This girl by the name of Shelley Sullover. I remember her name. She was like working for a big agency, publicity agency. And she was kind of like beginning on her craft. And that's why they gave her to me. And they said, okay, you deal with this bodybuilder. And uh, she was very good. She got me on the Tonight Show and on the Murph Griffin Show and, uh, you know, and all these various different talk shows and uh, an interview with the LA Times. And we got going and we started promoting the sport. And then the book Pumping Iron started coming out. And those guys, Charles Gaines and George Butler, did an extraordinary job with the photographs and with the writing of Pumping Iron. And then eventually the documentary came out and we did that. And that was like a huge hit, one of the biggest documentaries in the 70s. And so all of a sudden bodybuilding started to grow and grow and uh, it became really fashionable and it became in. Do you, I'm curious now at this age, what do you do? Because you look fantastic, but obviously you've probably cha completely changed up your regimen because you have different goals now. So in the, what do you do when you get up in the morning, 6, 6.05, 6.06? You've had your Wiener Schnitzel pizza. Um, you've made sure you've gone online and checked in on Conan O'Brien, what he's up to. You've listened to his latest podcast. That's all out of the way. You've watched some of my classic clips. Now it's eight o'clock, nine o'clock, but you go to work out. What do you what do you do? Is the goal now uh, to so, try and increase uh, weights? Or do you want to? So do you wanna... everything that you say is absolutely true. <laughs> <laughs> That's how my day starts. The only thing that you forgot. Uh huh. Which is kind of like very selfish thinking mm -hmm. because you forgot my animals. Oh, you're right. You see, be you before I watch Conan <laughs> and before I listen to you, I go and feed Lulu and whiskey. That's right. And then I feed, uh, of course, Schnelli, which is my pig. You have a pig and is... And then I have three dogs. You have three dogs. Yes. And, the, and, and Lulu... Lulu is the miniature donkey. Miniature donkey. And then and then and whiskey is the miniature pony. How did you get to have a miniature donkey? Well, my girlfriend gave it to me. 
Okay, so that's the so answer to I most had, things. So yeah. I had I had whiskey, right. which is my daughter's miniature pony, mm-hmm. and uh, and my daughter somewhat abandoned this whiskey. Mm-hmm. So you know she used to be hanging out and taking her around and everything like this, on shows and and uh, walking with her, and then all of a sudden, from one day to the next, she didn't do anything, and this whiskey was. This miniature pony was down at the stable down on Mandeville Canyon by herself. And no no one really did pay attention to it. So I said to one of these guys down there, can you bring the whiskey up to the house? Mm-hmm. And so I have a big backyard. I have two and a half acres of flat ground. And so he brought whiskey up. And so I had to run around up there, and then I brought it into the kitchen. I started feeding her some cookies and some, you know, uh, carrots you a, and all this. You stuff. have a pony in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, there's a pony and a donkey in the kitchen. Yeah, miniature, so, so, but miniature. Now, now yeah. you know. Now, a few years later, my girlfriend says, "Okay, you cannot have a pony alone. It needs company." Right. So she gets me for Christmas a miniature donkey. So I get this little miniature donkey, which was very young, nine months old. And they fell in love with each other and they hang out together. Now they both come into the house in the morning. So when I get up in the morning and they get them out of the stable at six in the morning, they come into the kitchen <laughs> and I feed them cookies. Then that the pig comes cookies, running. Cookies. Then, yeah, Are they supposed to be eating cookies? Well, no, they, they said oatmeal cookies. Oh, oatmeal cookies. Oh. I thought you were just like, here's no, an Oreo. An Oreo for you, no. an Oreo for you. Now get the fuck out of here. Exactly. I got those oatmeal cookies. <laughs> I got this oatmeal cookies made for myself because I didn't want to have the regular commercial oatmeal mm-hmm, cookies mm-hmm. with the sugar. So I right. said, just make it with honey. And so they did. So I have this big jar of oatmeal cookies. So then all of a sudden, so I was eating this cookie and the horse was pushing me. So I said, let me try it. So I gave it the cookie, eating it immediately, and then pushing me again. So I gave it another cookie. Then I gave Lulu the cookie. So all of a sudden it became a shtick, right? <laughs> and now we make extra cookies for the horses. Right. But... The, the dogs sit down next to me while the horses are eating the cookies. So now they're begging and they're reaching up with their paw. So now I'm giving cookies to the dogs. Then the pig comes around and now there's like all of them sitting there. And I'm just, you know, for, for 10 minutes handing out cookies. Good orders and I have to make pounds and pounds of cookies every day. You are it's Snow crazy. White. You're no, Snow White. Yeah. No, he's Dr. Doolittle. Yeah, exactly. Dr. Doolittle. Yeah, yeah. You are Dr. Heinz Doolittle. Yeah. Listen, I don't understand. <laughs> We're talking. So that's what I do. So you know, Conan, that's what I do before I listen to your podcast. I mean, for You Christ's can do it sake. while listening to the yes. podcast. If most people are being honest, no one really knows what you do for work, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, especially if you're in a, what I like to call B2B. Oh, you know? what, what is that? I'll explain. Okay. That's a business doing business with other businesses. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I call it B2B. It's a little thing. It's also, uh, it's a boy band I'm working on. <laughs> anyway, fortunately, LinkedIn has a network of professionals who get what you do, and you can reach the right people who matter most to your company because they're LinkedIn. Yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. LinkedIn has over, this is the fun part to say, 1 billion members. Are you serious? Yeah. That's not that's more people than are on Earth because there are people on the moon using it and Saturn. <laughs> that's one over 1 billion members on its platform, including 70 million decision makers. God, I'd like to meet a decision maker. 
Since LinkedIn members are regularly updating their work history, you can precisely build a target audience by job title, industry, company, and more. Man, you can reach the right people for your, I'm going to say it again, B2B business with LinkedIn ads. Yeah. Gets even better because LinkedIn will give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Mm. There you go. Just go to linkedin.com slash Team Coco to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash Team Coco. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all sometimes have issues or things we need to talk about, get off our chest. I have that all the time. Don't you, Sona? I do. Yeah, and we need people to talk to. And we carry around different stressors. We carry big stressors. We carry small stressors. Uh, I was raised in a culture where you're supposed to kind of bottle it up, and I've learned over time that that's not the best thing to do. If you do let things rattle around in there for a while without talking it out, it can affect your life very negatively. Well, therapy is a safe space where you can get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. BetterHelp's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. A lot of people have a barrier towards getting therapy because they think, well, I don't know, I've got to find the person, talk to them. What if I? it's not a good match? I, then it's awkward. None of that. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Conan today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Conan. This is the delight of, of Arnold Schwarzenegger is that we're talking and I think, well, here's what we're going to talk about is his new body work, bodybuilding regime at this age now. What do you do now? And before I know it, you're in a room, you're basically in a Keebler's elf tree making cookies <laughs> for pigs, donkeys, and ponies. That's right, exactly. It's madness. It's it's then I go madness. to the gym. So now I drive down uh, to the Do you beach. ride the little pony? No, no, I, I, no. <laughs> kidding me. I have my, my grandchildren. They ride the pony Got it. and they ride the, the, right. the miniature right. uh, donkey. But I hold on to the kids because you never know. You never know. They're very feisty, those animals. Right. They obviously didn't charge and run off and all this stuff. So I want to make sure that they're safe. But the, the grandchildren love coming over sure. to the house and seeing all the animals. I want Every come. one of the grandkids yeah. has their favorite animal. You right. know, can I see Jerry? Can I see Schnelli? Can I see Lulu? Can I see this again? Right. So there's... And then what I do a lot of times is I have a cousin that is 95 years old in New York, and he's kind of old. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so he's you know, very, very fragile. Yeah. So what I do, and I have also a, a, a cousin of, of the, the, by the name of Monica in Austria. So what I do a lot of times is while I'm feeding the animals, I go and dial their number on my iPad, oh. and I film the whole thing. And they love it. <laughs> they talk nice. about it the entire day. They just really love it. So people really get entertained with that. A lot of times people ask me, can I come over to your house and see the animals? Not yeah. to see, can I come and visit you? Yeah. No. 
No one is interested in that. They just want to go. They just want to go and see the animals, and then they come over and they see the animal, the kids or whatever it is. You've now got third billing to, to a pig. <laughs> exactly, that's right. But anyway, so then I go down to the, the, the beach. Yeah, tell me what I, you do I, I there. What do you bike do? Off the off my uh, Yukon, mm-hmm. and then I drive uh, to Gorge Gym. Then I work out forty five minutes at Gorge Gym, and then I, I ride back, put my bike back on a on a on a truck, and then drive home and have breakfast. Right. Or have nothing, and then it just continue on with my work. I would love to work out with you someday. Yeah, and, you I, can. and you might be surprised. I might uh, be in better shape than you think I am. Mm. You know, I'm just mm. saying. Or you might be surprised the other way mm-hmm. that a man mm. my age could let himself go that much. <laughs> it could go either way. And why would I have to be surprised in the first place? Mm. That's true. What is your obsession about me being surprised? <laughs> You're right. Yeah. I guess I'm trying to impress you one way or the other. Well, that's okay. Even in the positive way or the negative way. That's I just okay. want to make some impression. I want to be the last thing you think of at night before you say goodnight <laughs> like, to Schlutel. So he wakes up doodle. watching Conan and right. going to sleep thinking about you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, after he, he says, good night, Schlutel, good night, That is his vision. Yeah. That is yeah. his vision. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I'm sorry. What I'm, is going on I here? need to be medicated. Yeah. And I am medicated. I just need more medication. Um, I, uh, you talk in the book that you say that your favorite, and you've had so many great jobs. I mean, you, uh, in your life, you achieved all these great dreams. You said your favorite job ever was being governor of California. Yeah. All-time favorite job. The toughest job, without any doubt, because to bring 120 legislators together and make them agree on anything, it's kind of like impossible. Uh, But we made it possible. We figured it out. And um, I think that to serve 40 million people and to be the governor of the greatest state in the union, greatest state in the country. Out of 50 states, California is by far the greatest state with the most revenues and the most power, the most diversity in the world. It's uh, unbelievable. And not only that, but we are actually now the fourth largest economy mm-hmm. in the world. So to be governor of that, it's just unbelievable, the responsibility. And uh, you learn a lot. I mean, it was the most extraordinary learning experience to sit in that capital and to have meetings. Think about that. Uh, If a meeting from 9 to 10 with the nurses' union and they want to have a better ratio between patients and nurses, if, you know, for for every uh, four patients, one nurse, rather than for every six patients, one nurse. Mm -hmm. And... I never even heard of that before, the ratio. So you learn about all of that and what is it that nurses go through and why is it important? Because when they lift a patient from the operating table, you know, under their bed, uh, there's two women cannot sometimes do it if it's a heavier patient. So they need a male patient there. So they were fighting also to have male patients that are a little stronger to do lift the male patients. nurses. So yeah, yeah, all of yeah. this, so all of this stuff, I've never even heard of those yeah. debates. Then, then the, the prison guards come in and say, "We're working so many overtime, so much overtime that we need to have more prison guards. We need to hire more, and we have to have more salaries, and more wages, and more benefits, and all that." So they talk about that issue. Then the, the the teachers come in, the teachers union. They talk about the you know teaching and the challenges teachers go through. Then the people that are Represent the kids coming. So this is how it goes on and on and on from morning to night. And it's always issues that you have not really been aware of. So in the beginning, it was kind of like a university where you study new subjects and new issues all the time and you become so 
smart with all of this stuff. Yeah. And I had one advantage and that was, I was not a real ideologue. You know, yes, I was conservative. Yes, I'm a Republican, but I'm not stuck in this ideological corner. And I didn't look at the Democrats as the enemy. I always felt kind of like in order to make this work, you have to have Democrats and Republicans work together. Yeah. So we worked together and we figured out what is it that we can do together and then let's fight over the other issues. People are so but hungry we, for that. Yeah, right and, so, and so There's, that is yeah. really what we did and that's why we were able to do, build all this infrastructure and why we were able to do the, the redistricting reform and get rid of gerrymandering and why we were able to go and pick so many minority judges and women and, and all of this. So we were able to do things in the environmental issues that we tackled. I mean, it's the only state that really reduced its greenhouse gases, its pollution, by 25% within 10 years. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of great stuff that was going on. But together, Democrats and Republicans together did this work. Not Here, me, not the Republicans, but Democrats and Republicans. Here's what really I took away from your book and, uh, and what you're saying right now is early in your career, it's you. And you ha are in a situation where you can control your body. You can control what you do to your body and how you build your body. You can be in full control as a bodybuilder. Then control was very important to you when you got into movies. How can I prepare myself? What roles are right for me? What roles are wrong for me? If I'm going to do a comedy, what should that comedy be? And what would the best way for me to, how could I best show my humor? What would work? Who's the best this? Who's the best that? When you become governor, you put yourself in a situation where a governor can do so much it's almost like you willfully put yourself in a situation where you don't have a lot of control. There's a lot you can't control when a job is that big. Do you think there was some part of you that was pushing you into a situation where you can't control everything? All you can do is try, but you, there's a lot you can't control. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, but you don't want to. Yeah. You know, because you don't want a dictatorship. You don't want to have one person make all of the decisions because we're not right. perfect. Right. You know, and sometimes that goes overboard. Mm -hmm. And you start going power crazy and stuff like that. So you need always to have a check and balance. I think that's really terrific. But what you can do and where you have total control over is motivating people to move forward and to do great things. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what your philosophy is, but to say, we must sit down, guys. And we got, got to build more highways and freeways, more tunnels and bridges, more on-ramps and off-ramps, more school buildings, more university buildings, affordable housing. Let's do it. We can do it. You know, so now they go and they go, you know, oh, this is great. And they sit down and you can motivate. So you become kind of the motivator and the force behind bringing people together and creating a vision. Like I said in the book, you know, visualizing is the most important thing. I had very clear visions of course, crazy visions of what California can be. I visualized, I told them, I visualize, you know, every city having a thousand cranes and we are building and building and building new dams, new highways, new this, new that. And it was a crazy vision, but you have to have a vision, but it motivated them to sit down and that we were able to do $60 billion of infrastructure, half of what I wanted, but we did it. Mm -hmm. And so this is really the, the great thing. So I think that one thing we have control always motivating. And that's one of the things I feel like is missing today. There is no one in Washington that is really rallying up the troops and is motivating them and becoming kind of like their, their, their motivational kind of force behind it to bring people together because there's a way of doing it. There's a way of doing this. People are not saying, I don't want to get together with the other side. 
I think you just need someone that motivates them and uh, really make it attractive and kind of like talk to them and communicate the right way. And so this is, I think there's certain powers that we do have that was that I was able to use. And I was always a positive person. You know me. I mean, it was never kind of like, I always see the world kind of like uh, Norman Rockwell. You know, Norman Rockwell, he always painted everything that was fun. Kind of optimistic right? Exactly, and fun, optimistic yeah. and fun and colorful and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's the way I, that's the lens that I look through when I look at America or when I look at any of the issues or the problems, anything. It's always through that lens. I see it bright, I see, don't see it dark and black and white or anything like this. I always see it bright and there's a bright future ahead. And I think that that to me, is much more helpful than always being depressed and like say, oh my God, things are terrible. Things are going downhill and all that. Yeah, uh, I was I was very impressed too, which I didn't realize in the book is you had uh, uh, surgery that was supposed to be routine just a couple of years ago and something went very wrong in the surgery and it was touch and go. Oh yeah, and I mean, I was really pissed off. And you, I can tell you that. <laughs> I mean, think someone, about it. You go I was in pissed there. off that I had a life and death experience. No, but I mean, think about it. I mean, you go in there and you say, they say it's a two hour procedure. Yeah. And the next thing you know is you wake up and they say, okay, this is 16 hours later. Yeah. And you're trying to talk and you go, oh, 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 oh. They say, well, no, don't, uh, don't try to talk, Arnold. I, I, you still have this thing. They put a tube, of, in, uh, your the throat. tube yeah. in your throat. And so they did not put a, the, the tube out of my throat, <laughs> you know, I'm coughing. And they say, all right, let us explain to you. <laughs> Things went south. We punctured through the hard wall with the wire. Accidentally. Accidentally. This was the wire that's supposed to go up and remove your old valve, aortic valve. And then the other wire was supposed to replace that and put a new aortic valve in. But bags, bags, and we punctured, punctured through the wall, and it created internal bleeding. That we had to do an emergency opening of your rib cage, rip everything open very quickly. Otherwise, you would have died. And now we had to then do this and this and that. Then, then we uh, by accident also damaged the uh, other valve, and this is how it went on. And so now, sixteen hours later, but we we saved you. <laughs> You say, well, that is really fantastic. <laughs> so I had to kind of like what I call their shifting gears. Yeah. You know, yeah. I had to shift gears because now this thing like going after in the afternoon, then out and, and uh, you know, uh, having a good time was out the window. Now I'm trying to survive. And this is to just to reiterate, you thought you were going in for arthroscopic, like uh, orthoscopic, orthoscopic uh, uh, you know, uh, thing, and then you go home that night. I don't and have go, your pizza and, and pet right, your yeah. donkey, and then you oh wake up 16 hours later, and they took all of your insides out and put them back in exactly, upside down. That's right, yeah, exactly. So I mean, so this is what what what, what happened, and so now you have to shift gears because now you have to say when they tell you that uh, you're not out of the woods yet, because what happens a lot of times they say is you can die because of uh, pneumonia, mm -hmm. and so this is why it's very important that within a day. You must get out of bed and you got to go and start walking to really get lung exercises because that's what usually trips you up. And so it's very, very important. And so I now start setting my mind, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to get out of bed. As soon as they wheel me from this station over to my bedroom, I'm going to get out of the bed, you know, no matter what, and I'm going to start walking. And so this becomes like the mission. 
you know, to start walking. I don't want to die because of pneumonia. I've gotten through the surgery and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, it was kind of a touch and go situation the first few days. But then I got stronger and stronger. And three months later, I started with uh, Terminator 6. Yeah. Yeah. I started filming. So three months later, I started filming again. They couldn't believe it on the set. And I was back again working out regularly and all this stuff. So, you know, I think that, again, with the positive way of thinking, and I can do it, and nothing is going to stop me, you know, with that kind of an attitude, I was able to do that. This book is, I recommend it to everyone, Be Useful, Seven Tools for Life. I recommend it because the quality that comes through again and again and again in this book that's really sweet is humility. You have a lot of humility for someone who is almost like the cartoon representation of you can do it all and achieve everything. You're very, very humble. And uh, you have a lot of empathy for people who maybe don't have some of your qualities or struggle. You have an incredible amount of empathy. And I could see that when you made these videos after January right, 6th right. and Ukraine, and that really spoke to me. And I thought, right. God, I, I'm happy this this man's out there and he's doing this now with his platform. Well, so, thank you very um, much. Thank you. I, I love being a motivational speaker out there and uh, writing a motivational book and having a motivational newsletter that is out there yeah. every day. And uh, to do all of those kind of things, the pump club and all this, you know, I've, I felt kind of like I was motivated my whole life by people and I want to motivate other people now, millions of people around the world. Yeah. That's my mission. I feel motivated. So yeah. do I. I, don't, I mean, I don't think you're motivated. Oh, oh, you don't? Um, She's not more motivated, but I think I'm motivated. I'm still stuck in your hate Ashbury days. <laughs> 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 she well, I, I, I see that you're motivated. <laughs> I don't know why Conan is after you. I mean, Thank it's you. like you're the only woman in this room. Thank and you. who is he attacking? Oh, my you. God. Yes. It's like unbelievable. Yes. You know what I'm Thank saying? Yes. I'm going to start a rumor that he has a hostile work environment. <laughs> Okay. It's not a rumor. It's not a rumor. That is all I need right now. It's not a rumor. It's not a rumor. It's not a rumor. It's not a rumor. Yes. Arnold Schwarzenegger, thank you very much. God bless. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was fun. Conan O'Brien needs a friend. With Conan O'Brien, Sonam Obsessian, and Matt Gourley. Produced by me, Matt Gourley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Nick Liao, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Take it away, Jimmy. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. Engineering by Eduardo Perez. Additional production support by Mars Melnick. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review read on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 669-587-2847 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan-favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online 
at Whole Foods Market today. My cat Rachel is the silliest cat I know. One time, she played inside a paper bag for three hours. What a mystery. But I'm glad her health isn't. Thanks to the color-changing litter from Fresh Step Crystals Health Monitoring Litter. This premium color-changing litter has pH-activated crystals that can help me detect potential illness early. That makes it easy for me to stay on top of her health and well-being. I may not understand all of Rachel's silly quirks, but I can keep up with the important things. Find Fresh Step Crystals Health Monitoring Litter at a store near you. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company.